Father, uh, Lord, I just want to pause. I need this pause um, and just have a, a few moments of silence with you and would ask that you would stir up in our hearts um, that we wouldn't bury what we are coming in here with, but that we would expose it and bring it out to you, the great healer, um, so that you could you could heal us and continue to set us free. So, Lord, in this time, I pray that whatever is uh, making us angry or sad or feeling despair, um, whatever is confusing us and is weighing on our, our minds and our hearts, Lord, would you bring that out and, and allow us to bring that to you in this time? Father, wherever we are, thank you for calling us here to worship you today. And, and thank you for your, your plan, the way that you work all these things together that you call us to is, is for our good and for your glory to be seen as who you are, as a good father who loves us, as a savior who has uh, given everything to set us free, and as a Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and never will leave us and, and leads us in the way that we should go. Um, thank you for all of your love and provision for us. And Lord, as we hear your word read and preached, and as we continue to worship you through song and, and prayer, um, would you keep your good promise to us to not leave us unchanged? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, so this morning is our final week in our vision series. And so if you're, if you're new, um, we have a vision statement that really is the the fruit of a lot of prayer and conversation in this community. It's kind of like what I was talking about earlier, that the Lord speaks individually to people, but he also speaks individually to congregations in specific contexts. Like these, this is not just a gathering of people who all kind of think the same way and like the same kind of music. That's not what this is. This is a body of people that is, has become a community, is, is becoming a community, has become a family, is becoming a family, and that the Lord is has brought every single individual member of this community to this place because that's who he wanted here for the work that he's doing in us and the work that he's doing through us in 2022 in Nashville, in this part of the city. And so um, we are following Jesus and what he's given all of his people for all time, uh, the great commandment to love God with everything that we have and everything that we are and to love other people the way that Jesus has loved us. But the specific context of that for us uh, is we believe that we, were on ad we are on adventure with Jesus to be set free, to set others free, and to enjoy that freedom together. And so I'll, I'll say that one more time. We're on adventure with Jesus uh, to be set free, to set others free, and to enjoy that freedom together. And so we, we've talked through, we're kind of each week we're taking a piece of that statement. So the first week we talked about what it is to be on adventure with Jesus, that that word adventure is that we are being led somewhere by Jesus to a place that we don't know how to get ourselves. And until we hand him the keys of our life and, and give him control and let him take us somewhere that we've never been, uh, we will always be dissatisfied. Our souls will always be hungry. 
Um, and then we talked about what it is to be set free, that he is, he is setting us free, not from our circumstances, but he's using our circumstances to set us free from ourselves. Um, and then we talked about last week, what is that, uh, is that process continues, a part of that process of us being set free is to be with Jesus setting other people free. And so how do we enter the lives of other people as ministers of reconciliation? That's what he says that we are now, is we now get to come in, in the fruit that we've tasted of what it is to have peace with God, what it is to be loved by God. We now get to go out with that message to the men and women that he's already put in our lives. And he will continue to bring people into our lives to hear that message from us and to feel it as we live it out in the way that we love and care for them to say, God loves you. Uh, you don't have to be afraid of him anymore. Um, Jesus has made a way for you to come home. And that's good news. Um, and as we bring that good news, the Lord uses that even to continue to set us free. And so now we're talking about um, how do we enjoy that freedom together? Because that's the whole idea is we're enjoying that freedom together with these people that we're going out who don't yet know him. It's not a project. It's not something where we... Um, a duty that we cross off the list. When we go out to people with this message of reconciliation, it's because we want them to be in our family. It's because we want to have real relationship with them and invite them into this community because we need them um, and they need us. And so um, what does that look like now that we are together in this body um, to enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ together, even when things are not all as they should be, even as we are not as we should be yet. And so um, that's where we're going today. And a question I want to pose for us uh, before we, who's reading our passage today? Okay. Um, you can come on up, Mary Margaret. Mary Margaret's pulling double duty. Way to go. Um, <laughs> as Mary Margaret comes up, I want to ask this question. Think about, what if, what if every single person, what if every single one of us um, was a cancer patient in a cancer ward? And what if this was like old school hospital situation where like we were all kind of like together in close proximity and we weren't all like sectioned off in individual rooms? But what if we were all, had all different kinds of cancer, all different levels of severity, but we were all together in this cancer ward um, experiencing this together, the, the side effects of chemo, the side effects of radiation, the side effects of the cancer itself. Um, what, if, what would it look like for us to be in that situation, but caveat, at the same time knowing that we don't know how, but somehow every single one of us is going to make a beyond full recovery? What would that be like and how would that change the day-to-day -day struggle, the day-to-day -day pain, the day-to-day -day suffering of all the things that we're going through to know that somehow, some way, every single person in this cancer ward is gonna make a beyond full recovery. You're actually gonna be better and more whole than when you came in here. And, and in uh, a lot of ways, that is really a, a great metaphor for this life. And, and where we find ourselves in the story. So I'm going to let Mary Margaret read. Um, Luke 5, 27 through 32 says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and other reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, 
Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And 1 Peter 1, 2-9 says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so what we're doing, especially if you haven't been here with us, um, is this passage, the first passage that Mary Margaret read, this encounter of Jesus and Levi, this, that whole passage really encapsulates the totality of our vision. Um, but each week as we take a piece of that vision, we're, we're having a secondary passage to help really unpack and explain that piece of the vision. And so um, jumping into this, uh, our first passage with Jesus and Levi. So Jesus comes to Levi, he calls him to life with him, and then Levi responds. And, and now Levi, as he is walking with Jesus, as he's experiencing this man and the way that this man loves him and is changing him, he throws a feast for him. And he invites all the people that were in his life. So he was a tax collector. Um, that was a very um, undesirable person in that culture. And so he was inviting a bunch of other sinners and undesirable people um, into this feast to meet Jesus and just be with Jesus and enjoy being with him. And so, um, and that's what happened. Jesus and his disciples came and, and they enjoyed being with these people. Jesus wasn't holding his nose, walking quickly through the party, trying to say his, his hellos and then get out of there so he didn't get any of that on him. He was eating and drinking and feasting and laughing and having conversation with all of these people, and none of it was threatening to him. And then we read in this passage that um, there were some other folks at the party, these uh, Pharisees, very religious people who were very proud of themselves and the way that they were able to follow God and follow God's law. And so they come on the scene. I don't know how they got there. They probably weren't invited because who wants them at your party? But they come in and they're very bothered by everything. They're very bothered by these people, by their very existence. They're bothered by Jesus not being bothered by these people. And, um, and really, you know, what's underneath this is they're very bothered with themselves. And so they come in and um, it's really easy for us, whether we realize it happening or not, to, to behave just like this and to ask the same question of Jesus for ourselves and for other people. Is it, it just really bothers me that Jesus would eat and drink and have fellowship with these people that are so messed up? And it's easy to ask that question of um, us for people who are outsiders, like 
that makes me uncomfortable that you would hang out with those people. It makes us ask this question of us for each other, of like these other people in this room, uh, I don't really agree with, I don't see to eye, eye to eye with, and kind of want to start moving away from them. Um, but it's also really easy to, to ask Jesus that question of ourselves. Like, because I'm not okay with me. Why would you hang out with somebody like me? And so when I am, when I'm living in this place of shame and constant self-improvement and perfecting, that's what comes out of that shame of like, I'm not okay with me. I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid of what he thinks of me. I'm afraid of what he would think of me if he could really see me for who I am. I'm afraid of what you would really think of me if you knew everything that I was thinking and saying and doing. When I live like that, it makes me then want to either just totally disconnect or uh, be on this constant mission of hiding and camouflage and self-improvement. And in all of this, whichever way you go, it leads to disunity and isolation. There is no together. There's no community. There's no church. Without the freedom and the love and the grace of this covenant commitment of Jesus, um, we, we can't have any of this. We, there's no way to enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ together. It's just not even possible. And when I forget who I am and forget Jesus' love for me, uh, it makes me afraid. And not only does fear make me leave the party, like I, I can't stay in this situation when I'm afraid because um, I'm afraid I'll be seen. Um, I have this recurring dream, uh, or I don't anymore, thankfully. I, I guess that means maybe the Lord's done some work in me. But I used to have this recurring dream where I was at a social setting, like a, a party or at a bar, and uh, just like having a good time, telling jokes and enjoying being together. And then all of a sudden it like hits me that I forgot to put on pants. And so then I spend the rest of the time trying to figure out uh, how do I get out of here without anyone noticing that fact? And it's like, you know, that is a, maybe I just overshared, but <laughs> that is a picture of, um, that's what goes on in us as we move and groove and we have relationships with people and we move into social circles and we go and we, um, we hang out together is it's this like really complicated, complex like game of hide and seek of like, I, I really want to be in community. I'm dying for that, but I'm also terrified of letting you get too close. So it's like, I, I need to get close enough to where you're going to want to call me to hang out, but I don't want to get so close that you actually know me and know all the things that are going on inside of me. And all of that is this product of fear. If, um, you know, if, if I don't really, if, if the truth of the gospel of how Jesus feels about me and what he's accomplished on the cross doesn't get from here to here, then that's how I'm going to live. It's the only way that I have to live. Um, but Jesus is leading us somewhere different because he says in this passage, uh, some of the best news that there is is that I came for sinners. Like what he says in response to the Pharisees is none of this, none of these people, none of their issues threatens me in the least. Why? Because they cannot save themselves. And so when I come into this situation, when I come into this party, not just this party, but when I put on flesh and come into this world, I know what I'm coming into. I'm not afraid. None of this is a threat to me. That's the whole reason I came. I didn't come to pat people on the back who are doing a great job because nobody's doing a great job. 
Nobody is following God. Nobody loves God. Everybody loves themselves. Everybody has been under this curse of the disease of the cancer of the soul, this sin that is eating every person in this whole world alive. And that's why I came, because I'm actually a doctor of the soul. I'm the only one who can heal the deepest core parts of who you are. And so the whole reason I'm here is to get close to these people. And by the way, to get close to you. Um, If you Pharisees would just admit the fact that you are just as broken as these other people are. But that is why I came. You don't have to be afraid. John, the Apostle John, who has spent, uh, spent a lot of time in close proximity to Jesus, was one of his best friends when he walked the earth, says in his letter, 1 John, that perfect love casts out fear. He said, like, if you're still living in fear, then you, you don't yet fully know the love of Christ because you have been loved perfectly by him. And when you are loved perfectly, there is no place for fear anymore because you, are, you have peace with God, you are accepted, you are whole. You are, you are made clean by the finished work of Jesus. It's not up to you. It doesn't, your standing with God doesn't rise and fall with your behavior that day. It is firmly fixed forever in the finished work of Jesus. And this Jesus is not going anywhere. He is good. And so a, a good doctor doesn't um, take you on as a, a patient and then when things get rough, um, cast you out. He is committed to your full healing. He is not leaving until this process is finished. And even after it's finished, he's not leaving. He's making us new. And he is the one who does the work. He is making us new. We are not making ourselves new. So um, that's great. Um, That's really good news. But we want to go a little deeper and ask, how does this work itself out in practice? How does this work itself out in real life? And I would encourage you all this passage that we're going to, uh, go to now in First Peter chapter 1. Um, I, I want us to have plenty of time to get to the table today. And so um, we're not going to go super deep there, but it, it's an amazing place to just pray and meditate and just be with Jesus this week. So please, please do that. Um, but so now we're kind of asking Peter, another man who was very broken um, like us and who spent a lot of time with Jesus and was transformed by his love and was, was in this this band of believers that if you read uh, what happens to this community after Jesus is crucified and then raised from the dead, um, Peter is living a very different life than he was uh, before that. Before he was afraid and he ran away. And, and now he's together and no amount of uh, suffering, no amount of uh, attack or persecution can keep him away from Jesus or from the people that Jesus has brought together. And so we're asking Peter, okay, how how do we do this? How do we feast with Jesus in the midst of brokenness when everything is not okay, when everything's not as it should be? How do, how do I not just be overwhelmed by fear and the feeling of being threatened by the fact that the world and me are not okay right now? And so Peter tells us in this passage, well, let's start here. Let's start with uh, your heavenly father because that's who God is now in Christ. You've been adopted into his family. He is your heavenly father. And your heavenly father um, is full of great, great mercy for you, always. And, and when he says here in the end of verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, what he's saying is like if you could see it, if there was a visual for this, God's grace and peace are just flowing over you like a waterfall constantly. And it, the, the flow of that waterfall never changes ever. 
because it has nothing to do with your response to him. It just is because of who you are now in Jesus. So let's just start there that you have a heavenly father who is constantly like just mercy and grace and peace are just flowing all over you and all over your life constantly. And then um, he says, you have a living hope. We talked about this in uh, a couple passages, a couple sermons ago, but um, we've been made new. And the fullness of that newness is, is not yet fully experienced because it's working itself out. This truth that is outside of time and space is working itself out in time and space. And so we are new, and that's what allows us to continue to grow out of that newness and be made new. And so he says, you are new, and you've been born into a living hope. That living hope is the person of Jesus who has been raised from the dead never to die again. And so basically what Paul is saying here is as goes Jesus, so go you. And guess what? Good news. He's never going to die again. So you have a living hope, a living hope that you will always, always, always be alive and be alive with him. And so then we ask, well, um, can, can I or anyone else do anything to threaten this life that we have in Christ? And he says, no, 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 because your inheritance is undefiled, it's unfading, and it's imperishable. Nothing can touch the life that you have in eternity with Christ, nothing. And it's being kept in heaven for you. You're not the one keeping it. It's being kept for you. All of this is a sure thing. All of this is your future, and it is a sure hope. It is a living hope. And even now, speaking of being kept, you are being guarded. You are being guarded by your heavenly Father until we reach that point. And you are being guarded through faith. And that faith, the God's power through faith is going to lead you all the way home. And so then he, he turns the corner and says, so now you can rejoice in that. You can rejoice in this sure hope, this sure future. And the, and, but then he, he talks about where we are now. Um, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And that's where we are now. And, and it's easy to miss this, but, but that, word, that phrase, if necessary, that means that whatever you and I experience, whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever loss we experience here is necessary according to the good physician. According to Jesus, who is the one who is healing our souls, who is setting us completely free, He's saying, whatever I'm allowing you to experience is totally necessary for this good work that I'm doing in you. So even that, because we can rest in that, not just because he says he's good, but because we've seen his goodness and his love for us as he's emptied himself on the cross. And so this man we know loves us beyond any love that we've ever experienced because of what he's done for us. And when he looks at us, who's endured all all suffering in, in the most ultimate exponential degree imaginable and has gone places so dark that we will never, so that we will never have to go there ourselves. When he looks us in the eyes and says, I know this is hard, but this is necessary, we can trust that. And what does he say it's necessary for? I love this. And, and like this has been such a blessing to me as I've unpacked this this week, getting ready for today so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though perishes, 
that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is really easy to read that passage that he's doing all this to test our faith in a really um, creepy way. Like he's some like weird calculated mad scientist who is um, testing us and, and to see if we'll pass the test. I don't know about y'all, but I, like that's, that's how I've read passages like this in the past. But that cannot be further from what this passage is saying. What, what Paul is drawing on is this process through which um, metal is tested and refined. It's, you know, gold is, I know all about this. I don't. Um, <laughs> I love these little science lessons I give. I, have, I know nothing what I'm talking about. Um, you know, you, you apparently heat up these precious metals because there's imperfections in these precious metals. And so when they get to a certain heat, the imperfections come out and they're melted away and whatever is there is more pure and more solid. And it's, it's, if it's gold, it's, it's more pure gold than it was before. And so when he says that he is testing the genuineness of our faith, what he is saying that he is making our faith genuine. Because you know what? A lot of us have spent a lot of time saying that we believe certain things, mentally assenting to things that are true about Christianity, and they have no impact on our lives whatsoever. We're just as scared, we're just as lonely, we're just as lost, we're just as every fill in the blank as, as anyone who doesn't really know Jesus at all. And that's because our faith is not genuine. And, 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 and through this process of testing and what happens when we're tested is we have to run to him and cling to him and claim these promises and fight. We have to fight to believe that this is true. Is this true? I don't know because I've heard all these podcasts and I've read all these books and it's all just up here, but it's not down here. And it's this process of living life and the things that he allows us to experience that take all this information and make it reality for us that we can actually live out of it. So when he says that all of this is for the purpose of your faith being tested so that it's genuine, it's not that there's a chance that he's gonna say, oh, oh, look, your faith is not genuine, sorry, you're out. It's what he's saying is your faith is not genuine. Um, it's just this tiny seed of something genuine and the rest of it is all fluff. And so what we're gonna do through this process, this very individualized treatment plan for your soul cancer is we are going to get all of this stuff out to make room for more genuine faith. And that genuine faith means that you are having a real relationship with me right now in real time. And that is changing everything. That is changing everything about your life. It's not just for something that's to come, it's for now. And it's this living, being changed, having a more genuine faith of believing what is to come is changing me now. And it's changing my experience of all the trials that I'm walking through in this life today. You know, on paper, um, 10, seven, five years ago, like me today couldn't really tell you anything more or new or different about Christianity or Jesus or following Christ. You know, like if you gave me like a theology exam, I don't think I've learned all that much more that I could answer more questions for you. But the me that stands here today, um, 10, seven, five years down the road of walking with Jesus is, is radically different from the man that was there 10 years ago. And that's because it's not about information. It's about formation. 
information is a part of it. So, I mean, that's why we preach through the word. That's why you read the word. That's why we have the word. It, it is a very important part of it, but it is not the whole thing. It is not even close to the whole thing. It is working out this truth with the real living Jesus who is having a relationship with you that is changing us now and preparing us for the future. So there's this, there's this now thing that's happening that is a huge gift to us. There's a huge gift to me as I walk through this life where things are not all as they should be and I'm not all as I should be. But then there's also this, this reality that um, he says that all this, your genuine faith may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's also preparing us for the, the big reveal, um, for the day that Jesus Christ returns and is revealed and we see him face to face and we see him as he is. He is stoking the fires of your heart and waking your heart up to its real desires and real hopes, not the shallow garbage that you settle for because you're afraid to really hope and really desire. He's saying, no, 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 take the training wheels off. Like really hope, really desire, really pursue this stuff that's inside of you that you are starving for. And you will see that it is coming. You will not be disappointed. You have a living hope and it is coming. But it's so important that you live in that hope now and not try to satisfy yourself with other things. It's, it is not unlike um, someone being prepared for their wedding night. You know, your wedding night experience is gonna be very different um, if, you, if you're getting married, um, it's gonna be very different if you are looking toward that person and this, what, what is being um, done in this process of, of this marriage and this coming together. It's gonna be very different if your heart is set on this person and this time and, and all of your hopes and loves and everything is, is zoned there than if you were just um, sleeping around with anybody you could find up until the, oh, I'm getting married in an hour, I gotta go. And that's what Jesus is doing here is he's preparing our hearts. He's, he's stoking the fires of our hearts to say, hey, hey, like think about this now. Like this is changing you now. This, this is what you're waiting for. So increasingly, we are called, because remember the yous in this passage are collective. It's like, it's y'all. Um, so now we are increasingly called together to collectively rejoice and to remind each other in our rejoicing of what it is that we are putting our hope in. And that changes the way that we live now. Now I don't have to be threatened by my imperfections or my sin or my incompleteness. And I don't have to be threatened by your incompleteness or your sin either. And um, as, as I was thinking about this, this week, there was just this one uh, movie scene that uh, kept coming back to my mind. I don't know if you all have seen Little Miss Sunshine. But the last scene, um, basically, they, this family that's really, everybody's got all these issues. And they're in this VW van and they're making their way across the country so that this little girl can compete in a beauty pageant. And, uh, and when they get there... Um, it's, it's pretty wild, but uh, I, I want to just show the clip and then unpack it.
Okay, so uh, forgive me if that was a mistake showing that clip. Um, what really captures me about that is, you know, if you, if you see the movie, like everybody is experiencing so much pain in that family. Um, everybody is so jacked up in a million different ways. And they get to this place where this little girl is clearly not going to win <laughs> or even be competitive for this competition. Uh, but this competition is not even what she needs. It's not where she's going to find life. And so they go, and as they help her pursue this dream, um, they're not going to win the world's beauty pageant. But they don't need to. And so uh, as she's being told to get off the stage, um, her family one by one comes up in all of their brokenness, and they find a way to feast and party and celebrate with one another in the midst of all that brokenness. And and it's appealing, right? It's also, uh, it's, it's causes, it re, it's repelling, like it's repulsive, literally, like people are getting up and leaving, um, but it's also appealing. And the dude who stands up at the end, he's ready to go, like he's ready to go with them anywhere. Um, and that's what Jesus is doing through this, this community, is um, he's increasingly, as we are looking to what's to come, as we are more and more sure and that, that faith is deep in our soul, is deep in our hearts, and it's functional, and we live out of it. Um, we are more and more able to celebrate with him and with one another and remind one another through that celebration that it is going to be just fine. Like you're going to be okay. And all the, your circumstances that are not going the way that you want them to go, you don't need them to go any certain way because that's not where your hope is. And that's what it is to be in this community more than anything is our job is to rejoice in what's already true in Christ and remind each other of what's true in Christ. And that will absolutely transform the way that we are able to experience the freedom that is already ours in Jesus and live out of that freedom. And what's that going to do? One, that's going to do wonders for our hearts. But two, um, it's going to draw people in who are hungry for that freedom too. So... Um, not only do we get to talk about this today, but we get to experience it at the table. Um, we get to come to the table today and feast with Jesus, just like Matthew, just like Levi and his, his tax collector friends. We get to come and we get to feast with Jesus. We get to eat with him and drink with him and just be with him, even when things aren't fully as they should be yet. And in that, um, we experience his love for us to say, hey, you don't have to perfect yourself. You just have to keep coming to me, keep trusting me as I allow these situations into your life and know that I'm doing this to increase your ability to live out of the freedom that I've already given you and, and, and increasingly allow you to believe the fact that it's, it is all going to be okay and that you can allow your heart to wake up because all of your hopes and dreams will be realized. Um, you will not be disappointed. And so uh, we, we follow Jesus' disciples for, um, for hundreds of years, for centuries. Um, the, night the night before Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples, um, and he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this, this bread is my body that's going to be broken for you, um, and you need to feed on me. You need to be nourished by the love that I have for you. And so take and eat this um, in remembrance of me. And then he took wine. And he poured it out and he said, um, this wine is my, actually my blood. And it's the blood of a new covenant. It is no longer the cup of God's wrath due for you because of your sin. It's actually the, the cup of celebration of the wedding feast because I have reconciled you to God. So now you don't have to fear. You can come and taste and see that the Lord is good and that he loves you very much. And so that's what we're going to do now. So we have kneelers here. Um, come up and just spend as much time as you want. Um, 
talk to the Lord about this. This table is for anyone who knows that they are a sinner in need of God's grace and in need of a Savior and that the only Savior um, that there is is Jesus. And so whether you're coming for the millionth time or the first time today, um, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you come, if, if you need gluten-free bread, let us know. We have that. Um, but you can put your hands out when you're ready for the elements. We'll give you uh, the elements, you can take them uh, as you want to. And if you need prayer, if you want prayer, um, which is, by the way, more normal to ask for prayer than to not ask for prayer, um, just raise a hand and say, hey, I'd love for you to pray for me. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, and if we could have our servers come up. Father, um, thank you for <laughs> thank you for being perfect so that um, we don't have to be afraid of our imperfection. Thank you that you are the great healer and I'm not the great healer. Thank you that I'm on your plan for total healing, uh, not my plan. Thank you for um, continuing to draw us into your love and grace and mercy and peace. Uh, and would, would we be agents of um, remembering and encouraging one another toward that? And when we're not, when we become Pharisees, when we think and talk like these Pharisees at this feast, um, would you in your grace and your mercy come and convict us and heal us um, so that we can live out of the freedom that we have in you. In Jesus' name.